people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. And what are we watching this week, Zach? We are watching How the West Was Won, a sprawling epic that covers 50 years of westward expansion through the stories of pioneers brought to you by a star-studded cast. Awesome. And this is everybody's first time seeing how the West was won. Yes. Despite owning this for many years, yes. Um, I don't think I'd ever watched it in its entirety, but it's one that I had seen segments from. Yes. Uh, if I had watched it in, entire, in its entirety, I was very young and I forgot. And that doesn't... Mm-hmm. I, I remember movies. Yeah. Sure. So that doesn't sound right. So I, 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 I guess full first time watch through, which I guess makes this a... Asterisk Oscar versus yeah. yeah. Um, but there are no asterisks in this Oscar breakdown. I say that, but you guys are going to uh-huh. disagree with some things. I was looking. <laughs> I was trying to find an asterisk. <laughs> All right. So we are still we are still giving it to best story and screenplay written directly for the screen story and screenplay screen. There was an asterisk. <laughs> really? <laughs> bring it up when we get around there. Or okay. bring it up now. Do it. Sammy Davis Jr. was accidentally given the wrong winner's envelope when he was supposed to announce the award for best music score. Uh, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Poor Sammy. See? And and people would keep up. pretending like people pre- keep pretending like the uh the La La Land incident was a uh, some kind of fluke. This shit happens all the time. I love his All response right. to that happening. He says, wait till the NAACP hears about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm. How the West was won wins this category, giving James R. Webb an Academy Award. It beats out eight and a half, written by Federico Fellini, Ennio Filanio, Tullio Pinelli, and Brunello Rondi. Beats out America, America, written by Elia Kazan. Uh, Beats out The Four Days of Naples with a screenplay, Are You Ready for This? by Carlo Benari, Pasquale Festa Campanile, Massimo Fran- Francesca, and Nani Loy, and a story by Pasquale Festa Campanile, Ma- Massimo, sorry, Festa, Pasquale Festa Campanile, Massimo Franz- Francesca, I, I said it okay the first time, I'm not doing it again, Nani <laughs> Loy, and Vasco Pratolini. Because we needed the distinction of those two different names. Nani? <laughs> Nani? Like to get it's Italian in the category. Yeah. This has been a running theme these, these past few years. And Love with the Proper Stranger, written by Arnold Schulman. Hmm. But wait, we're not done. Because How the West Was Won, produced by Bernard Smith, was nominated for Best Picture. Being beaten out by everybody's favorite film in the category, Tom Jones. Uh, it it gets no more above the line, so I gotta I gotta scroll a little bit. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Keep those categories scrolling. Uh, it is nominated for best music score, substantially original, <laughs> and that is also uh, that gives Ernest. No, sorry, went down a little too far. Alfred Newman and Ken Darby nominations, but it is beat by Tom Jones, giving John Addison the Academy Award. Mm. It wins best sound, giving Franklin Milton an Academy Award. Hmm. It is nominated for Best Art Direction Color, 
giving art direction nominations to George Davis, William Ferrari, a posthumous nomination, and Addison Hare, and set direction nominations to Henry Grace, Don Greenwood Jr., and Jack Mills. It is beat out by Cleopatra, the Oof. most expensive film to date in 1963. Yes. Uh, you know what? I don't feel like reading all these names out. You can, you can go check them out. It's okay. just a lot. Um, best, it is nominated for Best Cinematography Color, giving William Daniels, Milton Krasner, Charles Lang, and Joseph Lachelle nominations. The four of them all Oscar winners in their own right. And uh, they, they all worked with the three different directors on this. Oh, nice. William Daniels of uh, Boy Meets World fame. That, that's correct. <laughs> of 1776 fame himself. <laughs> Uh, it is also beaten by Cleopatra, giving Leon Shamroy the Academy Award. Oh. It is nominated for Best Costume Design for a Color Film, giving Walter Plunkett an Academy Award nomination. He is beaten by the costuming staff of Cleopatra again, giving Irene Sharaf, Vittorio Nino Novar Novaris, and Rene. I mean, those sound like people that are supposed to win. Um... Yeah, costuming awards. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Beautiful. And film. finally, it wins best film editing, giving Howard F. Cress an Academy Award. And that is our Oscar breakdown. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. What a what a mouthful that was, and I appreciate you taking it for the team. So many names, so so many names, just all in my mouth. I can see Jonathan's face getting ready. He's he's thinking about lollygagging now. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> let's. Um, I don't like westerns. Yeah, that's an established okay. fact. Yeah, I fucking loved this movie. <gasps> <laughs> okay, color me surprised. Right. Um, I was. I was curious how this was going to go, but go on. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, did not expect to be as engaged into this film as I was. I was expecting to uh, sit here, work, have it. You know, to the side of me and me going, boring, boring, boring. No, no, just a fucking movie where they're like, hey, who wants to just get all of the gorgeous people and put them in a fucking Western and make it good? <laughs> like, just dear Lord. <laughs> like, right. Um, yeah, I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, I wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, I apologize. Um, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed just the amount of time that it spanned and how it was all just basically connected and it just, it was, and, and, and I feel like it was the best, the better parts of your usual Westerns in one film that was presented as just the best parts of those. So it was just, it had the adventure it had a goddamn amazing fucking train fight. Like mm. it just, yes. like, I don't know. I, I loved this movie a lot. <laughs> I usually tell people when they say they don't like an entire genre of filmmaking, you're just not watching the right ones. I, I feel like with this one being, like I said, just the better parts of those Western films, because the, one of the problems that I have, especially with like spaghetti Westerns is a lot of them rely on kind of the stoic and nature of the main character. And it lends to a lot of silence in the film. Yeah, I mean, specifically with the Italian spaghetti westerns, there's yeah. a lot of there tends to be a lot of silence in the film because that means there has to be less dialogue between the actors, which means that these these 
disparate actors from different countries that have all come to Italy to yeah. <laughs> record this movie don't have to talk to each other. Uh, but with this one, there was none of that. <laughs> Just none of that. It, and like I said, with it bringing out the better parts of other Western films, it, it hits almost every genre as well. Because you have moments where you're like, oh, wait, I'm 30 something minutes into the film. Did it become a musical out of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, we paid for Debbie Reynolds. We're getting fucking Debbie yeah. Reynolds. <laughs> so I just, I chalked that up to, okay, this is just a, 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 we're getting the Oklahoma part of Westerns. So, um, yeah. So, Zach, what did you think? So, okay. Straight up, I like this movie a lot. I uh, I feel like it is a big spectacle. Uh, it's uh, I think you're talking about the best part of westerns. I would kind of look at it like a kind of a westerns kind of greatest hits type thing. Um, you know the whole Cinerama, the the three lens shooting of the screen. I would absolutely love to go see. If, I don't know if there are any Cinerama theaters that exist anymore. No, no that sucks. The Cinerama Dome existed for a, quite a long time, but I don't know if it it worked in that capacity after they stopped making Cinerama films. Yeah, and this was this was the last narrative film shot in Cinerama. Mm. So, you know, I think it's a gorgeous film. There's a lot of excellent action. Um, the the places I think it suffers are. I think there's a little bit of a narrative lapse because so much is kind of covered in dialogue uh, where you can kind of tell where a certain star or something couldn't come back. Like they got them for a certain segment. So you had to wrap up part of their story like off screen and then a character would have to kind of fill you in on what happened. And I didn't necessarily love that looking at, at a screenplay perspective. So I could be a lot more critical on the screenplay and the story, but as a film, that was candy to my eyes and uh, just gorgeous landscapes. And, and like the, like you said, the train uh, fight and a lot of the, I don't know if you'd call it green screen or if they're just in front of the live filmed scenes, like a, a rear projection. Yeah. They were, you know, they're still obvious to the modern eye, but they were a lot better done than films you've seen before this, which usually had the more kind of squiggly outlines of the characters. And they, like the raft scene and looks like they were like in a pool or something where they were filming it because they had the water and everything. So they're really um, selling what was happening, but I like it. I like it as a spectacle. It feels like a theme park ride. So that's where I am. Mr. Workman, your initial thoughts. Uh, well, if this is a theme park ride, my hands up and I were, I was shouting the whole time. This is <laughs> fucking phenomenal. I love this movie so much. Uh, yeah, this was a, uh, Western westerns are probably one of my three chosen genres, and god damn it, this one was everything. Hmm. Like it was, is as Jonathan said, it's all the westerns. They're like, we're making this almost three hours long, and we're you're gonna get bang for your buck, and it's gorgeous. <coughs> my god, is this film just beautiful to look at from that that opening shot that they stole from some document on through it. <laughs> it's so it's so beautiful, mm-hmm. and. And Debbie Reynolds. I don't. I don't know if Debbie Reynolds has ever been hotter than she is in this movie. I don't know. Uh, that would be tough. <laughs> I mean, just a couple years from now, she's going to do uh, Unsinkable Molly Brown, and she's gorgeous in that film. But 
the moment she stepped on screen in this movie is like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, this is a this is just a fun movie. It's fun to watch from beginning to end. Yes, it like even when it slows down a little bit and gets real uh, real dialogue heavy and under some it 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 still like grabs your attention and keeps keeps you in the moments and. I'll tell you the thing I like the most about this movie is when I started it, I thought to myself, man, I don't know the last time I watched anything from this movie. And there's so much in here that could go wrong. And I was shocked at how for 1962, this movie got so much right. Yeah. Mm. And it wasn't an embarrassing watch. That was my biggest fear from this movie. And Mm. I think it put me in a good mindset as soon as like, as soon as like Jimmy Stewart goes into that that native encampment, they're like, "Hey, yeah, these wilderness guys they they were they were practically Indians themselves, and they got along with everybody." And then as soon as the white men come in, and they're all suspicious and paranoid, like I just like, "Wow, wow, we're actually putting a lot of the blame on white people here. This is mm-hmm. incredible. This is amazing." <laughs> yeah, I think Henry Fonda has a line later in the film similar to that. He's like, "I'm living out here in the." <laughs> in my cabin and you know yeah yep. like george papard has that that whole scene where he goes to like he's like yeah and the railroad wants, just wants to come through here and they're not going to steal your hunting land and then as soon as they steal the hunting land and the natives are like we're not okay with this he's like what the fuck did you expect you lied to them and you stole their land you dumb son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> right i think there was one <laughs> line that just kind of made me go, eh. but I think that's something that just recently is starting to get fixed where I think I can't remember who says it, but one girl says the other one was like, what do you think you are? Some kind of squaw or something like that. Yeah. They, they say squaw. So that's one of those, that's one of those unfortunate things where words like that do get thrown around in this movie. Uh, but at the I same mean, time, the film doesn't necessarily seem to be on the side of, manifest destiny and colonialism right so it it feels correct yeah well i mean it's it's not like here in iowa we literally changed the name of squaw creek two years ago yeah so i mean yeah yeah so yeah it's it's one of those yeah it's one of those things where it's yeah these are not comfortable words to listen to and people you know this just and, and like you said, until recently, it's still the way a lot of people talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, it's period. It's a period. How, it's it's how they would have talked. Right. And I'm not excusing that, but I'm also at the same time saying, if we want some kind of accuracy, sometimes uncomfortable things are going to be said. Yeah. But but knowing that at in 1962, that's still a word that they were openly using for Native women, also kind of. <laughs> not great right yeah um but i think even like this year in killers of the flower moon um that that word is thrown out a few times sure so so it it's really like hey we, we, how much accuracy do we need it's not like they all they said it every single scene yeah i don't know it's it's no, a tightrope walk i don't know the right answer i can yeah. only speak for myself well, I think for me, it was just more of the fact that it was pretty early on in the movie and me going, oh, is this kind of going to be a thing? And then as you continue on through, you're like, no, 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 no. Like you said, it was just kind of a 
historical accuracy sort of thing. That's just what was yeah. said. So yeah. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I I I struggle to think of problems I had with this movie. I really do. I I don't think that there was really a misstep made. Uh, like I said, the outside of the random musical in the middle, or well, like, like I said, thirty minutes in, me going, "Is this what this is?" And it's not. But you know, you know, and that's again, all they had to do was sing. So it made sense where it was just like, right, "We can't turn on the TV. Let's start a hootenanny." Like, yeah, exactly. And and it's and it's a thing born from the character because when you meet her, yeah. they're like, "Here, play music," and she she starts singing. She's got a beautiful voice because of course she's got a beautiful voice because Debbie fucking Reynolds. <laughs> but then by the time she like leaves her family, she goes and becomes uh, a performer in St. Louis. So you see her and she's performing. So when you get to yeah. that nanny, it's like, yeah, she's a performer. She wants to entertain people. That's what she does. Here she is doing it. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's a real character driven moment on top of God damn it. I just love a musical number and anything. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. And there's good musical numbers here too. And I, I like them, you know, I didn't have any issue with musical numbers in this film. Uh, well, you know, I can have my issues with musicals, but it's not a musical. It has scenes of music. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking as you guys are talking and, you know, I, I do like this film. I was looking at the kind of the origins of it with, uh, Bing Crosby, who was going to propose the, uh, he was working on a television spectacular is, is what it's called um, based mm-hmm. on photographs of the old West that were in life magazine um, in, in an article called how the West was one. Right. Um, and I kept like afterwards, I, I, I read these notes and things. I tried not to read too much about it beforehand, but I kept thinking as I was watching the movie, I would like more time with the family. And I was bothered by, kind of the dialogue that was like just wrapping up things that happened off screen. And I see also that there was a TV show that was developed in the seventies, which I haven't seen any of, but it focuses more on the Prescott uh, family. Um, so I do get the, the, the PC feeling. I, I don't know if it just, the dialogue didn't feel so natural for me. And I know I, there's part of the Cinerama process too, that had to stage the actors awkwardly. And maybe there was something about the way they were talking to each other. Yeah. A little bit of a disconnect. And apparently like most of the actors who I'm not sure how many of these actors had acted for Cinerama, but they felt like they needed more of a, like a stage presence for it. So mm-hmm. they kind of overacted on top of it, which I kind of like, <laughs> it does add a certain charm. I don't I don't think anybody's like snacking on scenery, but but there there is like a bombastic feel to some of the performances. Mm -hmm. So I know I don't want to be overly critical because uh, it is a good movie and I like it. But on the original screenplay part is where I I feel like the the writing wasn't great. It was fine. I just don't know that it was great because it was a lot of plot filling for me. Um and I feel like I'd like to see this story as a book or, or, or the TV series, which I may you know visit because there's enough here to interest me in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the writing. I thought it, <laughs> I thought of a lot of it flowed and it felt very natural. And, you know, there, there were a lot of scenes where uh, I just found myself like admiring some of the dialogue and how, how it didn't feel 
how it didn't feel too periody. Like it, it, it flowed, it flowed really well amongst the actors. Even, mm-hmm. even when there were times where there, there may have been some stilted acting there. The, the dialogue was really like on top of it. Could be a lot of my modern perspective too. Like I'm expecting something where, where I got to think about how movies are of the time. And there is going to be a lot of, you know, we have to speed this up because it's a movie. Uh, like when even Jimmy Stewart's, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character meet and, you know, they hit it off so quickly and it's like, you know, it's a movie that has to be done. And yeah. And also she's, this is like the first <laughs> man that isn't her family or those, that other family they've been traveling with. She's seen in right. a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Beaver Pell. she's, yeah. And she's obviously out for marriage and family. Like that's mm. what her character is driven by. And that's fine because, you know, we get a nice variety of women in this film mm-hmm. that are, that aren't all just there for that. Like most of them do end up in relationships, but <laughs> at the same time, like yeah. Debbie Reynolds is incredible in this film. She is. And poor Thelma Ritter, you know, again, oh, the... <laughs> again, when is Thelma Ritter bad? She's so good in this movie. Right. I'm glad she, I mean, she wasn't I don't dis- playing like an alcoholic or something, but <laughs> yeah, but I don't disagree with her. I'd be trying to get in Gregory Peck's pants too. <laughs> right. Yep. Absolutely. Man, but I don't want to skip over John Ford's section. I feel like we haven't talked about mm. that enough right now. The Civil War section. Mm-hmm. It was a little Man, short. John, a little shorter than I would have liked, but I still yeah. think it's a excellent it's very strong. It's very excellent. And again, in nineteen sixty two, I saw that there was a Civil War section. I was like, oh no, what are we about to get? Hey. How about the South started the Civil War because they still wanted slavery? They didn't, of <laughs> course, didn't say that specifically, but they were like, they had outmoded ways of thinking and they got scared, so they attacked the North. Yeah, like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll say I, I really loved how that se- that sequence slowed down and you had like the, the conversation with um, uh, Grant and Sherman. Grant and Sherman, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, Zeb's character just questioning, you know, deserting and stuff just because what the fuck? This is not the glory I was expecting. And right. And then the Confederate deserter there with him, like kind of egging him on. And then suddenly he's like, oh, there's Ulysses S. Grant. I'm going to shoot him because <laughs> I'm an evil Southerner. Yeah, and I liked yeah. that. I yeah. like seeing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I love them having William Tecumseh Sherman tell Ulysses S. Grant, people think I'm a fucking psycho. You don't have to care what other people think of you. Yeah, you were a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm just going to march straight to Atlanta, burn the whole fucking thing down. (laughs) Indeed. What's his name? What's his name playing Grant from um, MASH? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many names here. I know. Oh, jeez. Uh, Civil War. <laughs> Harry Moore Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Uh, it's your boy Carl Malden in this. You know, was... Oh, yeah. Carl Malden. He's there so early, too. Yeah. And he's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's having a great time. And then Lee J. Cobb shows up in the last segment during the, the Outlaws with right. Eli Wallach. 
<laughs> and then Lee Van Cleef just shows up at some point. He has no lines. And I'm like, God damn, there's Lee Van Cleef. What, what is this movie? <laughs> it's like we got the bad and the ugly. Where's fucking Clint Eastwood? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Lee Cobb. Uh, <laughs> like, I kept looking at him. I was like, wait a minute. Because he got the black hair. And I was like. Mm-hmm. And then I looked and I said, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's Lee Cobb having a great time. Oh, and Harry oh. Dean Stanton's one of the, uh, oh, yeah, one of Eli Wallach's little, little lackeys. They used to be there for a couple minutes and die. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stunt work in this movie was insane. I'm, I, yes. I almost rewound and looked at that one scene where I was pretty sure a guy got rolled over by a horse. I was like, cause yeah, looked- somebody. Somebody almost died in this movie, shooting yeah. this movie. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's a couple of times where I'm like, God, especially that train scene. So oh, I'm God, just that, now that whole train scene was fucking incredible. That Carolyn Jones was Seb's wife. Yes. Hmm. Uh, uh, fucking uh, Morticia, Morticia Adams. Adams. Yeah. God. I almost said Lily Munster, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this this movie's just fucking stacked. Like that, I think that's just the best way to describe it. Like it's it's got everything and it has everyone. Name a thing, it's there. Stuntman Bob Morgan was seriously injured and lost a leg during a break in filming a gunfight on a moving train while filming the Outlaws portion. Well, here you go. Chains holding logs on a flatbed car broke, crushing Morgan as he crouched beside them. That dude almost died and lost his leg. Jesus. So I, the chains broke. I wonder if that was like how that scene was planned. I hope like that was that was the chains bro- actually Oops. breaking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll just. And, I was just going to note the uh, some of the restoration stuff when they were talking about like how they had to make this film work for flat screens and stuff. I as soon as it came on and it, the widescreen was so wide, I was like, "Holy crap! What is going on?" Because again, I tried not to. <laughs> Looks almost like a reverse fish fish eye lens. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> again, I tried not to read anything about it beforehand, so um, it, it was quite the spectacle. Right. Oh, there is a well, novelization that was written in 1962. Maybe I'll have to get this. Oh, check it out. Go, go read that. Yeah, go read that. Oh, and this was the last time that Raymond Massey, who played Abraham Lincoln, played Abraham Lincoln at the movie because he had made like a whole career out of playing Abraham Lincoln. Nice. All right. Well, gents, any uh, any additional notes on how the West was won? I feel like I could be here all day and just pick up this film from the bottom to the top. And yeah, this this is a movie it. like that. I think we like that we could probably just pick apart. Like, yeah, because there's you could talk about any one of the five segments and different parts of it. Yeah, it's it's a good time and it flows so well and it doesn't feel like it's two hours and forty five minutes. That's true. It, it does not. Anytime I had to pause it to go do something with the kids or go to the bathroom or anything, because I was watching this on a Sunday morning while like doing laundry and stuff. So anytime I had to pause it, like I'd see how far it was. I was like, really? I made it that far. That I, mm-hmm. I thought I'd been watching this for like thirty minutes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'll say you know most of my complaints are uh, ultimately I almost wish the movie were longer for me because uh, I'd like to see I, some of the stuff that didn't get on screen. Do not disagree. <laughs> like, like Dude. the whole, um, you know, what's Gregory Peck's character's name? Cleave or something like uh, that. Cleave, Cleave yeah. Van, Cleave or something. Killing Van Balen. He and uh, uh, Lilith's whole, you know, their whole life together. I, 
I'd like to have seen some of that. I, I don't know that it's necessary to be on screen, but as a viewer, right. I was like, I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, yeah. this this mm-hmm. could be. I think this could be a good series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I almost don't want to see that series now because I don't want it to be like gritty and grim and filled with blah, 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 blah. blah. I, I, I like this old Hollywood feel that this has this real, like yeah. right. bombastic I mean, yeah. and presentational, like this, this know, movie that, just yeah. I, I feels big. Ian McShane in there yelling cocksucker. Mother, a lot, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not that, saying I, I don't got... want that in everything. Yeah. <laughs> Like Yellowstone exists, so that I mean that's got. Hopefully that covers the. I haven't watched it much, but you know I know people like it. Sure, I've thought about watching some of the uh, the spinoff series on it mm-hmm. because that shit attracts some really good actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was and, it the nineteen twenty three or whatever that has Harrison Ford and? Uh, yeah, yeah, one of yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and, uh, uh, Helen Helen Myron Helen Mirren Mirren. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, Paul. Yes. Let's talk about the uh, film registry. National Film Registry. Do we think this is in? And what year do we think it got in? If we think it got in. Yes. 1990. Hmm. I'm going to say yes. And I'll go 2002 for its 40th anniversary. All right. So you're both correct. Um, I'm going to, before I tell you what if your year is correct i'm just gonna put a little note in here this film technically came out in 1962 because it got a british premiere okay in november of 1962 but wasn't released stateside until 1963 so that's why it is in this oscars because that's when it is eligible okay uh but zach you've gone too far over ah and jonathan i guess that technically means you win the price is right but the year (laughs) got in was 1997. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Okay. Years. Took a while, but they got there. Yeah. I mean, With I, I see this as a 1997 film because, you know, it starts in 89. So you got a if you're only putting in 25 a year, you got a lot to get through. That's mm-hmm. fair. That's fair. So, so eight, eight years later. Okay. All right. We got it in the first decade. That's, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. There's still some films that aren't in that should have gone in around this time or a little earlier. Yeah. Uh, but for 1963, uh, some films that got in uh, include America, America, uh, The Birds, uh, Crisis Behind a Presidential Commitment, the documentary, Lilies of the Field, which is the film that gave Sidney Poitier the Oscar this year. Nice. Uh, the Nutty Professor, the original. <laughs> and uh, everybody's Favorite film that is the best time you've ever had at the cinema, the Zapruder film. <laughs> uh, and that's that's that. All right. That's that. Well, let's get into some worsty judgments. And Mr. Zach Tastic. Hello. Did this movie deserve best original screenplay? You know, okay, it's another instance where, like, a couple weeks ago, we had the Dolce Vita in the in the <laughs> section. I think Eight and a Half is a movie I prefer, but again, it's more of a vibe movie. It's It's got a story, and it's got some interesting writing, but I don't know that I'd give it over this. And that's the only other film in the category I've seen. I really wanted to watch America America, because I know it's one of 
Martin Scorsese's favorite films, but it was three hours and I didn't have time for both of these movies this week. Um, so I'm going to have to say yes, even though I have my issues with it, I think, uh, they, they did a good job with the time that they had. Uh, I like the fact that the, we begin and end with the Prescott family. So we get the 50 years, uh, bookending the film and that's good. So I'm, I gave it ultimately, I had it at three and a half stars, but that feels kind of low after talking. I'm going to bump it up to four. Like I said, there's still my issues I have. Uh, so that'll put it at, let's see. I'm going to put it at number 13 for now. All right. Which means I think you jumped the gun a little bit. Oops, I did. <laughs> I, I, oh, well. Oh, well, my brain. <laughs> that'll happen. Well, I'm just going to say that I agree that it does deserve best original screenplay. I have not seen the other films at all. And if you're mentioning some of them are three hours long, I want to do it. Especially if they're freaking foreign films. Who could do that? Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be proud. So, yeah. Uh, I I thought, again, I enjoy a dialogue-y film. This was a dialogue-y film. And it had also a bit of everything that just, like Paul said, could have been, could have gone wrong, but it never did. Paul? Um, short answer, yes. Long answer, a lot of yes. Um, I love eight and a half. Got that on the Criterion shelf over there. Take a drink. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the other three either. I I do want to give America America a watch. If Elia Kazan's directing it, then I'll watch anything that rat bastard's doing. Like you mentioned before, that that bastard <laughs> the, 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 quality <laughs> ratio or whatever talent. <laughs> yeah. I just love um, the fact that America America is up for best story and screenplay written directly for the screen. Produced and written by Elijah Kazan, adapted from his own book. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I I think this absolutely deserves it. I think even though it is a little messy and sometimes disjointed, it really does a good job uh, capturing a feel and capturing a mood and the fact that this one writer had three incredible directors putting his stuff on screen and, and it feels as, as as it flows as much as it does. Uh, I think that's a testament to, to the script. And I think that uh, I, I'm with you. I wish this was longer. I wish I could see more, but again, I think that's a testament to the script because I'm curious. And I like these characters and I like being with them because they're all relatable and they're all interesting and, at no point do I feel like this film drags. It's just whenever we would cut to a different time period and you would miss some things, your immediate reaction is, wow, I, I would have liked to see that. And sometimes it was a little, it was a little like, I really wish I could have seen that. Other times it was like, can, can I get something supplemental so I can see this? Because please, if, if you're going to make more of this, please make more of this. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's all a huge testament to the writing because Again, you could have these three directors come in and shoot these things in completely different ways. Someone like John Ford's going to shoot whatever the fuck he wants the way he wants. But but they all look at this script and they all see what each other are doing and they're like, okay, well, let's make that movie. And it and it feels of a piece. Mm -hmm. And that's I think that's incredible. 
So yes, this deserved it. All right. Well, Zach. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I already. Oh, I guess I'll let you officially ask. I'll, the I'll, I'll, I'll still ask the question here. Uh, was this the worst best original screenplay? Uh, no, it's not. And um, and I can see again just why this film was so huge in uh, I guess sixty three when it was released or in America because it kind of almost feels like a commercial for America in a way like the Spencer Tracy's narration isn't amazing, but it, it, it tells a good story. And, you know, you start with the conquest uh, or the venture West, and then you end with some modern day footage and, and it's it's good. Um, So it's not the worst. Uh, Like I said, I gave it four stars, which puts it at my number 13. All right. Um, I agree. It's not the worst. It's my number three. Ooh, nice. yeah, this uh got past the great McGinty finally dropping that one down. Not much has done that. Um, no, I I definitely see myself watching this again. Just be like, hey, what do I want to watch? You know what? Let's watch how how the West was one. Um, which again says a lot for you know, I don't like westerns. So for you to make me enjoy a western, you know you've done good. So yeah. Also inspired an Olsen Twins film, I forgot to mention. That's oh, yeah, How the West was fun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Paul. Yes. Is this movie the worst, best original screenplay? No, not even a little. Uh, this is such a good time, and it's so much fun. And I loved it to death. Uh, I will say that the minor issues with the disjointedness from time to time did did take half a star off of it, so I, I zacked this one. Uh, I, I was hoping Zach would zack this one too, so we could be Zach pals together. But <laughs> I'm alone in my zackness. Um, so I, I, after this conversation, I did bump it up a couple spots, and I put it at the top of my four and a half. So it's at nine nine. I have eight five stars, and um, I think overall this is such a good film. And I, I think so much of that comes down to how well it's written and how how much of a vision that one writer had. And again, the, the fact that it's three different directors and it could feel totally like an anthology film and it doesn't is mm-hmm. is great. Like if, if you didn't put the opening credits up and didn't tell me there were three directors on this film and just let it play, I'd be like, wow, that was great. And then you're like, three different people directed this. I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Very true. So yeah, uh, my number nine. Right. Well, I think that is where we're going to call it here today. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, Twitch, TikToks, and on the Letterbox at all torn up Scarockum. Still have not watched shit. <coughs> I need to catch up on my 2023 films. I'll get there. Uh, I might try to do that this week, though. I keep telling people that I'm going to watch this, that, and the other thing, and then it never happens. So we're going to try. But Zach, where can we find you? Find me on Critiker, Zach Tastic. X-A-K-K. Wait, no. no. On. <laughs> I messed up. Critiker, I'm still Zachmaster. X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R. TikTok. House Havoc, where you could find my debut short film, The Wind Cries Darkness. Let me know what you think. Uh, or let fucking loved it, by my <laughs> <laughs> Like, you stars. need to know. Like, I fucking loved it. Thank you. I did, too. Uh, 
Like people were like, "What did I just yeah. watch on your Facebook?" And I was like, "You just watched a masterpiece. Yeah. You just watched." <laughs> like I'm not even joking. Like seriously, I loved it. You're very kind. Very kind. Yeah, those we're are not being kind. We're being serious. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So letterbox by searching my name, Mister Workman. Uh, you can follow me at Father of the Fear on Instagram and Letterbox, where I keep a running tally of all the films that I watch. Uh, I managed to watch four more 2023 films this week, Ooh. and I was very proud of myself for that. All at home, too, because I, uh, we recorded these last two episodes so close together, I didn't get a chance to go to the theater. But uh, well, watched Dumb Money, the new Craig Gillespie film about the... Um, the GameStop stock mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. debacle. And I enjoyed that. I seem to have enjoyed that a lot more than a lot of people on Letterboxd because I I don't know. I just get lost in stories like that and mm-hmm. have a fun time. And I thought it was made perfectly for the generation of people that it was trying to appeal to. And I, I don't know why people don't why people don't like this film more. I, I don't love it, but I had a good time watching it. Uh, I watched the new Disney Plus original, Dashing Through the Snow, starring Lil Rel Howery as Santa Claus mm-hmm. and Chris Ludacris Bridges as a father who has lost the Christmas spirit and Santa Claus has to help him find it again. Every year, I want Disney Plus to put out another film where Lil Rel Howery as Santa Claus has to help another rapper turned actor find the Christmas spirit. Absolutely. Just do it. Do it. Give me <laughs> cube that for a dollar. Give me cube. Give me fitty. I don't care. Just put them on screen and have Lil Rel Howery beat Lil Rel Howery as Santa Claus, helping them find the Christmas spirit. It, this film was fucking delightful. I had a wonderful time. It's, <laughs> it's really cheesy and it's really silly. And that's exactly what I wanted when I turned it on. And it was everything that I thought it should be. And, uh, I think everyone should watch it. Okay. Uh, Joe and I watched the new Peacock original, Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. Oh, wow. I haven't heard of that. Uh, can we just, um, so, Please Don't Destroy is a comedy group that okay. is made up of three young men who who did some live shows together and then ended up doing a lot of YouTube videos and kind of exploded during the pandemic and then got brought on to um, Saturday Night Live the same way that Lonely Island did. Oh. So that's, that's where I think where the comparison to Lonely Island kind of ends because they're not as musical as the Lonely Island. Every now and then they'll do a musical thing. They're more like real absurdist sketch based and they're a lot of fun. And I love their stuff on Saturday Night Live. They're the they're the best part of Saturday Night Live right now, and uh, I thought this film was it was a good time. It wasn't it wasn't amazing, and it maybe went on maybe a little too long. Like I think it could have been an hour and fifteen and wrapped it up just fine. But I still laughed through pretty much the whole thing. Mm. Conan O'Brien plays one of their dads, and he's hilarious <laughs> in this movie. Nice. Uh, two of the. Uh, Two of the members of Please Don't Destroy are pedo Nepo Babies. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to keep bringing it back. Uh, two of their fathers worked for, for Saturday Night Live at one point. One of them is 
uh, Jimmy Fallon's announcer mm-hmm. on his on late night with Jimmy Fallon. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Higgins. I, I forget what his first name is. And then the other one is a. Uh, the other one's father is Tim Herlihy, who is an Adam Sandler director. Oh, right, right, right. Who uh, me and Jonathan at one point nicknamed Tim Tim on oh, Drinking Tim Age Tim. movies. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his kid's on Saturday Night Live now. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, I think this movie's a lot of fun. And I highly recommend it if you just want a brainless like comedy that you would randomly see on Comedy Central in uh, 2003. Uh, and finally, today, uh, because I got home very, very, very early, uh, I went ahead and watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Nice. It's it's the third movie in that franchise. I still need to see the second one. I keep forgetting there was a second one. Yeah, there's a second one and a sitcom that ran for like a season. Oh, yeah. Nice. I really like the first film. What do you think of the second one? The second one's fine. Yeah. I think this one might be a little better than the second one. Okay. Um, But it also like opened up and hit me like right in, right in a very personal place. Uh. So it like, like, so the, the father from the first two movies died in real life. So now he's dead in the franchise and the mother is like slipped into dementia Hey, and that's what happened to my dad's parents. And it immediately was like, uh, wow, this is, this is awful. Like for yeah, me. Right. And, but it, it kept me in a, an emotional place to enjoy the rest of the movie. But at the same time, it's not a great movie. If you've gone this long without seeing the second one, you're probably not going to see it. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to recommend that you see either of the films. Right. I just, I just watched them. I like Nia Vardalos. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. She was in she was in that one episode of Boy Meets World, <laughs> but that's what I watched this week. But I guess we need to know, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week we're watching a film called Father Goose, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, Vudu, YouTube, or stream on Pluto TV for free. Oh, Leslie Karen, Carrie Grant. All right, here we go. Those are names I like. Uh, yeah, I'm. Kind yeah. of excited for this one. All right. Well, then we would like to thank Trav from a sister podcast, leveling up a Benjamin Banks for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for a most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscorsity Pod and on Facebook at the Oscorsity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Almighty Give us five stars and we'll play so high on Apple Music and Spotify. Wow. <laughs> I I just continue to be impressed by you, sir. <laughs> so kind. So, for Jonathan and Zach and Zach's sweet, sweet rhymes, we would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>